The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in His precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing, chapter 6, we're a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church. If I got up here and gave you my philosophy, it would be in vain for you coming today. You would receive very little. But if you hear the word of God that's forever settled in heaven, and that God himself is stamped with his approval and preserved up to this moment in time, then you can go away with something. There's no sermon can be preached, however bad it may be preached. If the word of God is in it, that you can't go away with something and say, glory to God, that gives me hope as a preacher. And if I mess up and I'm not in good shape, you know, sometimes I get up here and my memory's kind of foggy and I'm, I'm in pain or something's wrong. And, you know, you feel like you walk down and you say, I failed you, Lord. But then you always got the hope that God used his word in spite of you because he said to us, when you're weak, I'm strong. And what, give, what gives a, a preacher hope or a teacher hope or anybody that tries to transmit the word of God in some way is the vessel's not nearly as important as the Word of God, and he'll use, he'll use it. So let's read from 43 to 46 of Luke chapter 6. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now after this verse, I want you to write, if you write in your Bibles, take your pen and be carefully write, D-U-H. If I preached that simple, you'd throw me out of here and say, he's shallow. You'd say, that preacher, I knew that. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Let's go home. These are Jesus' words. For every tree is known of its own fruit. For of thorns, men do not gather figs nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. Write in your Bibles after that if there's space in your book. S-I-M-P-L-E. I mean, come on. How many here did not know that before you got here this morning, 
you knew what was in that verse. I mean, you may not know in the verse, okay, I'm saying that, but you knew the truth of these two verses, Jesus' words. The creator of everything that's ever been made or seen by Hubble telescope is speaking. He knows the intricacies of the most complicated molecular science. He understands the retina. He understands the anatomy of the Bible and uh, the, the body and how all of the chemistry of the endocrine system work together. He can he could have dazzled us with complexity to where we would go instead of write, writing D U H you'd write W H A T question mark what verse forty five it's getting better. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Now you understand this goes along with the two illustrations just above it. A text without context, a pretext. And then in verse 46 is the capstone. <coughs> The capstone on the whole thing. And why, knowing what I just said now, knowing these, you know, the good tree brings forth good fruit, evil tree, bad tree brings forth bad fruit. You can't pick, you don't pick anything good from bramble bushes. And why call you me Lord, Lord, which is a high respect, high respect, that's a master, master, and do not the things which I say. Wow. Wow. Profundity and simplicity is what we have there in that verse. We have a tendency in our Christianity to move away from the simple realities of it and to raise it up into a complexity that is fluffy and hard to understand and is fuzzy. But Jesus wouldn't let that happen. He kept what he was teaching on a, such a ground level, such a street level, such a simplicity that anyone with any kind of normality of intelligence could look at it and say, I get it. I get it. Because why? God wanted, he could have dazzled. He could have wowed us. He could have went over our heads. But he went down to where we were and where we are. Jesus had very little tolerance for the typical games of life that people play. He confronted those who met him with a challenge to be real. The world is crying for legitimacy. Wouldn't you like a legitimate president of the United States? Professionalism has invaded us at every level. We have professional preachers, professional deacons, professional Christians. We have professional husbands that publicly know how to be a good husband. We have professional wives that publicly know how to be good wives. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is going for. And that's not where we should be as born-again Christians. I just had a guy in uh, by name of Kevin Walker 
and it's uh, cowboy Kevin Walker. He's in with the Roundup Ministries, and and uh, Kevin, what are I, when Kevin started on Monday? It was a little cool. The reception was a little cool because you didn't quite know where he was coming from, who he was. But by Wednesday, you folks started putting your arms around Kevin, and by time the guy left, he told me my whole family doesn't want to leave. We want to stay here, and you folks came to me and said. This has been a great revival, and we've had a good... But Kevin's not polished. He's not a polished speaker. He, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, quote all the verses per, you know, every, every I dotted and every T crossed. He doesn't tell jokes like you... Like, like, uh, the sermon's not preached like you turn a tape on. Not well polished. But that's what you liked about it. What you liked about Kevin was his realism that he didn't come across as a super-polished professional who's done this so much, there ain't one mis- there's not one mistake, not one. One guy came to me and says, man, he didn't even hesitate. You know, talking about um, someone else, he said he didn't even hesitate. He knew that. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing wrong with knowing what evangelists have a gift of being able to go church to church, be able to preach the same sermons, and they get good at it, but they even struggle with being professional. And what you like about Kevin Walker was he was just real. There's an indifference, a fog or cloud of indifference wants to settle on a Christian after you've been saved a while. There's a story told of a preacher, a new guy had been called into a church as a pastor in the inner city. He was standing in his window looking out at the inner city area that he, he could call his ministry area. And he was weeping. One of his deacons came in and said he saw him weeping and said, Preacher, why are you weeping? He says, I'm just looking at the field that's so white to harvest and such, the, such, such sin and trouble here. And, he, and, the, and the old deacon said, Oh, preacher, you'll get used to it. He said, That's why I'm weeping, because I'm going to get used to it. We have a tendency to move and get used to the greatness of our salvation. I hope you can't sing amazing grace without a stir in your soul. I hope you read those words that are sung in those songs. And some of the simplest songs we sing in here, we sing them over and over again. Sing it over and over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Man, I never want to get used to this thing called salvation. I never want to get used to the Bible. I never want to get used to Jesus. I never want to get used to the fact that he says my name by the grace of God through faith in him is written in the Lamb's book of life. I never want to get used to the fact that he says he's out there making a place for me to stay. There's a lot of folks who are just numb. You've been around the things of God. You've gotten used to them. And you become what I call a butterfly Christian. A butterfly Christian. There's lots of them. What's a butterfly Christian, Pastor Bill? Thank you for asking. It's a Christian who looks pretty, floats around, smells the roses, awes the spectators, goes with the wind, is easy prey, and lives a short life. They don't ever really do anything that makes much difference, but they sure got the appearance. They butterfly. 
They all people. Man, that must be those folks. But no. Brother, if God's anything, he is practical. He, if God's anything, he is, a, he is the master of all utilitarians. Amen? I mean, he believes in practical things. He wants you to be hands-on, street-level, honest, an active follower of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself this morning, am I a butterfly for Jesus? Or am I real for Jesus? I got my hand on the plow. I'm trying to see some people saved before I die. I, I'm, I'm contributing to the things of God, the missions, trying to reach the whole world for Christ. I'm reading my Bible. I am part of the program. I am behind the things of God here. I try to encourage the preacher. That ain't a bad idea. By the way, I'm given to you by God as a gift. I'm supposed to be your encourager. Don't discourage your encourager, amen? Just makes sense. I'm married to a woman that has given her life to me. It, it is conducive to my life if I make her happy. And all the men said? We did not talk about that over there. <laughs> Love's a verb, not a noun. For God so loved the world, he... You look through the Bible, you're going to see that love's more, way more of a verb than it is a noun. I, you ever heard a guy, he comes, to his, he comes to his wife and says, Honey, I love you. I'd die for you. And she says, Man, I don't want you to die for me. Just pick your clothes up. <laughs> Do something. The least action is way better than the best intention. I got good intentions. Well, that gives you a nice warm feeling, and it's over. Jesus said, by the way, a lot of Christians are well-intended. Boy, have I heard a lot of good intentions in my office. I'm going to do better, preacher. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to start this. I'm going to do And I'm for every bit of that. But intentions aren't where you got to eat. That's where it stops. They butterfly. They float around. They don't get down and get to the nitty-gritty of, okay, I got to turn the TV off. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? You know, I think of Peter. After the resurrection, Peter's a leader. No, in, in every, every, as far as I know, on every list in the, in the Gospels, it's Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John. It's just that was the order. That Jesus said, Peter, James, and John. It's interesting he chose Peter. He's impetuous. I mean, really, he didn't keep his word. Everybody of these no good scummy disciples of yours will, will deny you, but I'll not deny you. Oh, really? After failing every way you can fail, Peter is still the leader. He goes, uh, he tells the rest of his disciples, the rest of you, those other guys, he says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm, he meant back to fishing. And so they go back to fishing. Jesus meets with them. And he calls him to the shore. And most of you know the story there in John 21. He calls him to the shore. And, and he, tell, he starts a fire, has a few coals. There's a lot of lessons in that. I'm not going to talk about those. But one thing that noticed me, that tweaked me, that goes along with what I'm trying to say today and what Jesus actually is trying to say there in Luke chapter 6 is three times he tells Peter, 
do you ask Peter the question, do you love me? And the first two times he says, do you agape love me? The third time he says, do you phileo? That means just a, a fondness, like a friendship. Friendship is you help me, I help you. My dad used to say, brother, butter my bread, I butter yours. Scratch my back, I scratch yours. That's phileo love. It's not the deepest kind of love, but it's a real love. Agape love is I give myself, I die for you without any payback. And that's what, what it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You, did, you weren't there. You were yet in your sin. You weren't even born yet. And he said, I love you. I'm going to save you. He did that. But this is, he says to Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, oh, you know that I phileo you. But he says a statement three times with those questions. He says, feed my sheep. Interesting that Jesus doesn't want him to cry. He doesn't want a bunch of sentimentality. I get sick of sentimentality. Sick. Sick, sick. I mean, I like emotions, and I'm an emotional person, but I realize that a lot of times emotions are just like butterflies. They look good. They, all the spectators, they go with the wind. They live, a, they live a short, brief life, but they don't do anything. God wants you and I to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something's got to happen in your life. And so, he says, Peter, look, you can cry, you can be sentimental, but how about you do something? How about you feed my sheep? How about you feed my sheep? How about you feed my lambs? Boy, I love that about the practicalness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just so practical. He says, stop philosophizing I've seen people through the years get caught up on whether this doctrine was so-so or that doctrine was so-so or this thing. Well, what about the beast? Do you think it's going to be 666? Do you think it's going to be some other code? I don't care. You don't need to know anything about prophecy. Feed my sheep. Go out and tell somebody you got saved and how you did it. Tell somebody about Jesus. Get up off your rear end. Do something for Jesus. The least action is worth the best intention. Don't say you love Jesus. Then do your own thing. That's not what Jesus is saying there in verse 46. Don't say you love me and do your own thing. Make your own plans. Live your own life. Make your own decisions. Speak your own words. Think your own thoughts. Go your own places. Do your own thing. Don't do that. Don't call me Lord, Lord. Don't claim salvation and all this other stuff. And then live your own life. Listen, folks, you're going to be surprised. Take your Bibles in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Every believer ought to know where that passage is at. Every believer ought to have this marked in your Bible. Every believer, as soon as you get saved, know much about the Bible at all, you ought to go to this passage. You ought to make sure you read it once in a while. In verse 21 to 23, it says, Not every, Jesus' words, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, didn't Luke chapter 6, verse 46, says, not everyone says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Well, here it is again, Lord, Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? And in here he says that not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That means they're not saved. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You're not saved by works, but when you get saved, you work. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace, through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. It's the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. But 
if you're saved and if God comes in and transforms you by the renewing of your mind and the Holy Ghost comes in and he dwells in you, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and other places, the, by the very nature that God comes into you, you have to change. It's as natural as a duck quacking, a bird singing. And so you become and are becoming like Christ, and you are concerned about doing the will of God. That's a symptom of being born again, is you get concerned on what God wants you to do. That drives you to this book because these are his words. This is, the, this is your manual. This is your shop manual. This is your uh, schematic on life. This is your how to survive and so you get into it, you begin to read it. Nobody has to drive. Let me say, I led a guy to Christ, Charlie Foster. He may be here today. I don't know. He comes once in a while. Charlie Foster, we led him to Christ years ago. And the first thing that man, we gave him a Schofield Bible. He ate that thing up, wore it out. We didn't have to beat on him. Read your Bible three chapters a day. He wouldn't. He'd say, three chapters? Is that all you want me to read? Three chapters? Man, I'm reading whole books at a time. You know what I said? By, you know what I said when Charlie got there? I said, he really got born again. Transformed, predestined, like the tone for. He got it all. He got it. Why? He cared what Jesus wanted him to do. Do is the word. Do. Do. Practical. He says here, that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I got sidetracked a little bit. Sorry about that. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we not cast out devils? In thy name we've done many wonderful works. Now the problem is they didn't do it under the auspices and permission of Jesus Christ. They did it under their own methodologies and devices. In other words, they kind of made God in their image. They invented God the way they thought he should be, not the way he really was. And that's done all the time. That's why there's so many religions. It's God. It's men inventing God. Why are there so many religions? It's men inventing God. According to their image, according to the, their likenesses, and preferences, which, how many likenesses and preferences do men have? A lot of them. How many religions are there? A lot of them. But there's only one truth. Jesus came and revealed himself. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I settle all arguments. I'm him. What confirmed that was his resurrection. Nobody else got resurrected. Jesus was resurrected, sealed by God as the one that was to come all the way from Genesis 3.15. And he came in the fullness of God's time. And when he came, he was, he was sealed and justified and identified by that resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. Let me give you some quick ones here. John 14.21, he says... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 23, I, I got sidetracked again. Verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7, I must finish this. And I will press, profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Excuse me for that. I got so much to say, I, I, I'm having trouble getting it all in. But he says to those folks, a, a bad thing, they're not saved. There's going to be many people come before him and say, Lord, Lord, they know who he is, they've done work in his name, they've cast out demons in his name, they've done many wonderful works, just a catch-all. He says, I never knew you because you did it your way. You sang what Frank Sinatra sang. I did it my way. When I heard him sing that, my heart was just sick about that man. 
In verse 21 of chapter 14 of John, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. In John 15, 14, he says, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he said, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The part I want to get to, verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lusts thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now you're going to see that phrase as you read through the Bible and New Testament. You're going to see that phrase, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, and hereby we know that we know him. People say, how do I know I'm saved? 1 John Look at it, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, 4. And we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, self-deceived, and the truth is not in him. Now look, these are not my words. These are words that I'm reading in the Bible, uh, written, uh, finished, by the way, by 100 A.D. So that makes it somewhere around 1,900 years old that God has preserved, even though people hate this book, like you can't believe, yet they've not been able to destroy it. The number one bestseller of all books is still the old Bible. God says to him, he says, prove to me that you're a Christian. Get out of the butterfly mode. Get out of what people think about you. Get, get out of what people perceive you to be. Get out of what people think at all. And start caring about what Jesus thinks. Care about what God thinks of you. In secret, live for him. In secret, do his will. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Do what you say, God, what would you have me to do? Here at the gospel, we've got over 20 different ministries of outreach. You want me to do the bus ring. You want me to do door-to-door. You want me to do ice cream. You want me to do the, a nursing home. You want me to do a, a detention center. You want me to do a door-to-door ministry. You want me to do something. Do something for the glory of God. Read your book. Don't let the preacher have to beat on you. Read your book. Don't you let anything stop you. You tell the devil, eyeball to eyeball, you're going to have to shoot me to stop me because this year, by the grace of God, I'm going to read or listen to the whole Word of God through. Support missions. Do good. Here's a poem I read. I liked I'll read it to you. It said, uh, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me that merely, than merely show the way. For the eyes are a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Good counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands and actions, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very fine and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word. Neither in tongue. I, I, I like to love in tongue. I like to say, Brother Wiley, I love you, man. But if your house is burned down, I won't come and help you. That's pretty cheap. Pretty cheap. 
When I need Brother Wiley, I believe if I called Brother Wiley up and said, come on down here, you got to help me do some fence posts, he'd do it. If he called me, no. <laughs> My little children love not word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. I like this statement. My father taught me to work. And my, my father, by the way, did teach me to work. And I got to say, I had a bad attitude most of the time. My father taught me to work, but he did not teach me to love it. But when I work, I prove I love what he taught me. Are you with me on that? No sentiment. He taught me to work, but he didn't teach me to love it. But when I work, it proves that I love what he taught. Obedience is the evidence of my love. You can't see love. You can't see what love produces in its action. You can only see the action love produces. We have millions and millions of people all across America and the world raising their hands in uh, what they call praise and worship music services, and yet their divorce rate is just as high as the world. They're cheating on each other, lying to each other, betraying each other. In some cases, they said, I just heard this from one evangelist said in the Bible Belt of North Carolina, divorce rate is a little higher than the national average. God forbid. God forbid. Let the rubber meet the road with your Christianity. Be real. Be honest. Be transparent. Faultless? Absolutely not. I do not know in this room one faultless Christian. But I do know a whole bunch of them that are real and want to live for Jesus. And that's what Jesus is looking for. That's why I said a good tree brings forth good fruit, you dummies. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like I had to add that in there. I mean, you know, when I read that, I think, man, Lord, don't you think I know that? And he goes, you think I'd say it if, you th if I thought you knew it? No, we don't get it, do we? We get so high and lifted up in our philosophical Christianity, that it takes us off of the real pavement, the street level where Jesus wants us to be. Let me say this statement. Please get this. If you don't get anything I've said so far, there's a truth here. Our potency is our difference. Our potency is our difference. If Jesus cannot save me from sin, then he can't save me. If Jesus cannot take an old rock and roll drug user and change him into a child of God, then there is no power in what we sing about. If he can't take an old drunkard who was stupid, sloppy, drunk, and wouldn't work, and I was ruining his family, and transform his life to where he becomes a good husband and a good daddy and a good worker, then we don't have anything. Potency is where we're different from everybody else. They got philosophy. They got health and wealth, and, and they, they talk to each other. It's, it's like the guy, what I call imaging, positive. They got positive imaging. How stupid is that? I want a boat. I want a boat. I want a boat. I want a boat. I got a boat. I hate a boat. It was a good day when I sold the boat. I did that for Max Georgie. 
I had about 10 years. The day I sold it, I was like, glory to God, hallelujah. Oh, it's good to have a boat. I mean, you can have a boat and everything. I was just picking on him. Don't be a, don't be a butterfly, Christian. Don't look pretty, float around, all spectators, go with the wind. Be easy, pray, and have a short life. Don't be a butterfly, Christian. Plant your feet on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. Have convictions. Stand for the Bible. Seek out God. Obey His Word. No matter, even if it crosses your mother. Long time ago, I decided, Jesus, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm a young guy. I'm 18, 19, 18 years old, actually. I said, Jesus, I'm going to put my life on this book. If it's wrong, I'm going to waste my whole life. But if it's right, I have life unto eternal life. Now I'm old. I, like David, he said, I was young. And now I'm old. Now, David died at 72 years old. So he called himself old. He says, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. And I can tell you, I've been around now a while. And I can say these, this is the truth. And Jesus is the way. And he's alive. And I can tell you, by experience and faith, that the ways of the world are death and will give you and leave you an orphan to die in your own quagmire of filth. Don't follow. Follow Christ. Father, help us today. Give us wisdom from above. May you speak through this earthen vessel to these folks by thy eternal, unerring, inerrant word of God. May today somebody say yes to Jesus. It's been butterflying around. Just been butterflying around. When's the last time you got to give the gospel to a, an unsaved person? I want you to think about this question. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. I'm the only one looking. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not here to embarrass you, man. I'm here to help you. I'm here to, I'm here to somehow shake you out of the lethargy, the indifference. It'll settle over your soul and destroy your future. What's the last time you got to give the gospel to a lost sinner? Now, you search your mind on that. You say, well, man, I haven't given the gospel to a lost sinner ever. Oh, God forbid. You say, maybe, Brother Bill, I've given the, I haven't given the gospel for a year. I haven't given the gospel for five years. Now, let me say this. There's plenty of lost people out there that will listen to you if you'll, if you'll say to Jesus, I want to be real with you today. A good fruit, a good tree is known by its good fruit. I want to have some good fruit. Well, he says one of the first and highest commandments of all is going to the world and preach a gospel to every creature. Yesterday, the brother I was with, we got to give the gospel at least three times. Maybe we actually gave it more than that, but I'm going to just be careful we gave it at least three times to some lost sinners. Why, do I, why can I say that? Because we went door to door. And I got to ask you a question. Where were you? Not everybody's going to go door to door, but I can say this. That's the best ministry I've ever been in that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. There's good ones. There are other good ones. But I'm saying, 
How about being practical and saying, if you can, if you can say in your mind, Brother Bill, I haven't really given the gospel in a whole year to anybody. Something is desperately wrong in your life. It's desperately wrong. Not a little wrong. Desperately wrong. You got to shake yourself. You got to say, I'm not going to continue. If you don't make a change, a radical change somehow or another, a year from now, you'll be saying the same thing. In 2015, I never got to give the gospel to one other person. I didn't say how many you led to Jesus. Saving people is God's business. Giving the gospel is our business. He's chosen this earthen vessel to carry about the greatest news ever passed over the lips of man. The gospel, Jesus You're a sinner, unable to save yourself. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. And by faith you receive him. It's simple to learn, easy to give, and you can do it. Every person is responsible to give the gospel. That's just one little area that I'm trying to talk to you about, about doing the will of God today. Father, help them understand it. Help them to see it, examine their lives. Convict with power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. All the praise belongs to Him who died on Calvary. Jesus gave His life a ransom that we could be free. Oh, sinner, come to Him today. Go!